Good. Well, we're going to open the Word of God together. We've been looking at um, a series recently on pastoral issues. We've been looking at handling criticism and handling loss and handling stress. This is about handling anger today, handling anger. And um, we're going to pray about that. This, this is the end of the series, and after this, we're going to be doing a new series entitled Jesus the Christ and looking at different titles of Christ and exploring in depth the person of the eternal Son of God. So, um, first of all then, anger. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for the way in which the scriptures speak to us on so many practical issues. We thank you that Jesus' great sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, tackled so many practical issues such as anger and fear and worry and giving and all the things that affect us in our lives. And we pray, Lord, that you would open up your word to us, a difficult passage of scripture to many, but help us to understand and to reflect upon it and to learn some important lessons about anger. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I'm going to start by um, giving you a little extract from my pained diary when I was younger. Um, and this is the experience of anger in the teaching profession in the 1970s. I don't know about you, but when I was a kid, teachers were allowed to be really angry and throw things and do things. So this is um, just a little extract from that. Mr. Hammond was very tall, had a red nose and genuine anger issues. He was the only one in the school who wore a suit and his suit was blue and tired, not unlike his eyes. In truth, I can't remember in detail what he looked like as I was normally too terrified to look up any higher than his tea-stained tie. However, on the occasion that I did, I would, scratch a pair of, I would catch a pair of fierce, wide bloodshot eyes piercing me while a disembodied voice echoed around his office, Not you again, Grinsel! Are you allergic to classrooms, boy? He'd been sniffing out the floundering ones, those exasperated teachers who had thrown to the great white that traversed the corridor seas. And although I did strangely admit to a small amount of admiration for Mr. Hammond, as he would always find time in his busy and demanding schedule to beat a small child to death just before lunch. So irate at seeing me yet again, he took out a large slipper and started to beat his filing cabinet with it. I was feeling a combination of fear, amusement, and genuine concern for the cabinet. Every time he said something, he hit the cabinet. I couldn't recall what he said, for as he slippered the cabinet half to death, the second drawer would fly out, and he would stop, and then gently push it back in, before the whole bizarre procedure was repeated. It was quite easy to become a head teacher in the 1970s. You just needed an old slipper and a very strong filing cabinet which must have got a hammering every day. No wonder the discipline in the school was poor. If you gave cheek to the teachers or set off the fire alarm, it was a poor old filing cabinet got it again. Suddenly, Mr. Hammond turned and began waving a wobbly size 11 plimsoll under my nose. Perhaps he was going to anaesthetize me before the onslaught and the final act of mercy. I understand, Grinsel, that you reduced Mrs. Lillycrap to tears again. And I began, ah, Mr. Hammond, Allow me to explain. Firstly, I wish to point out that I am a victim of a grave miscarriage of justice. 
You see, I was simply washing red paint off my hands, and I then decided to dry them on the towel next to the sink. He looked confused. Towel? What towel? screamed Mr. Hammond. Exactly, I continued. You see, it wasn't a towel. It was the curtain. It just happened to look like a towel. Easy mistake. Anyone could have done it. But so riven with confused rage, he shouted, Don't make a mistake again! And then he returned to the cabinet for another round of poundings. Slight stretch, that one. I think what he meant to say was, Don't make the same mistake again. However, I decided now wasn't perhaps the best time to correct him. Interesting thing in my childhood was that I actually witnessed quite a bit of anger, um, quite destructive anger, and aggressive anger as well. And I think most of us have. But I don't know about you, um, I've seen things get quite heated in the House of Commons over the years, quite angry exchanges. I have never seen anything like I saw last week. I mean, it wasn't just angry. It was quite spiteful. It was malicious in places. Hurtful things being said. And even people swearing at each other on either side of the house. We get presented with anger a lot. And my concern about our country at the moment is that we're becoming more and more polarised in our position over the B-word, Brexit. So much so that it's no longer about difference of opinion, but it's now becoming outbursts of anger. Demonstrations outside the Houses of Parliament yesterday, more expected today, over this polarised position that we have within our country that some commentators have said is almost like a political civil war. We watch anger on the television, we see it both in fiction and in fact, and it's presented almost as being normal. There are some myths about anger, that it's better to vent it, it's better out than in, so for example, or people respect you more by showing passion and just explaining how you feel, or you can't control how you feel, it's about being honest. Well, the truth is that, of course, as human beings, we do feel angry at times. That's a natural response to when we feel threatened. It's a normal thing to feel anger. And, of course, within the Scriptures and the Old Testament, and with Jesus cleansing the temple, we also see examples of God's anger, the anger of love, if you like, the anger of righteousness. We're not going to deal with those. They're different expressions of anger. I want to deal with just one aspect of it, which is the destructive side of anger, the negative side of anger. And I want to take you to the words of Jesus on that in Matthew chapter 5 and verse 22. These are some of the strongest words that Jesus says in the Gospels. And he speaks about it in relation to anger. Matthew 5, 22. He says this, But I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister will be subject to judgment. Again, anyone who says to a brother or sister, Raka, is answerable to the court. And anyone who says, you fool, will be in danger 
of the fires of hell. Wow, that's strong. That's strong. I want to firstly point out something really, really important spiritually. What Jesus is talking about here is to say there are certain things that we can do in our lives that opens a spiritual door. Now, when you get angry or you sin, you can open a door spiritually. Close it really quickly. And the reason we need to close it quickly is because of what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. The picture that he paints there is of a lion hunting, stalking its prey, looking for an opening, looking for a weakness. And if we get angry and allow real hatred and negativity to come in, then we open a door that the enemy could use to access. And we need to learn how to close those doors really quickly. Notice what he says also. He says, anyone who says, anyone who says. In other words, our words have power. They have power of life and death. But they also have the power to change spiritual climates as well. And what Jesus is saying in this passage is that you can use your words to open up heaven and open up hell into a situation. You can change the spiritual climate by what you say. Ever heard the expression, speak of the devil? <laughs> it normally refers to when you're talking about somebody, they suddenly turn up. It means when you talk about the devil, he suddenly turns up. It means when you talk about evil things, you create an atmosphere of evil. Something gets attracted. You open a door. Don't open the door. And if the door is open, close it quickly. Jesus says to call somebody raka means to cast them out into hell. That means that they are forever cast out. You have rejected them not just once, not just for a day or two until things sort of smooth over, but you have rejected them forever. And what he's saying is that when we are angry and we reject people in the body of Christ, the enemy will want to come in. Notice he says, I tell you that anyone who is angry with a brother or sister, you see, the enemy wants to divide the body of Christ. Always has done. Always looking for a way in to bring that division and separation from each other. Anger has real spiritual consequences from the teaching of Jesus. It opens a door for the enemy to bring division. Always be careful with that and make sure that we close the door. If we, if we do open it in a burst of anger, try and close it as quickly as possible. So how do we close the door? Well, there are spiritual things that we can do, and there are natural things that we can do. The spiritual are more important, so we're going to deal with those first of all. Verse 23, therefore, says the Lord. In other words, this is the problem. Let's have a look at the solution. If you're offering your gift at the altar, and there remember 
that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, and then come and offer your gift. Interesting, isn't it? What Jesus is saying there is that your relationship with one another is more important than your worship. Your relationship, and whether you are in a right relationship with each other, is fundamentally important. And if you're in a place of prayer, you will be reminded. (laughs) Allow the Holy Spirit, let the Holy Spirit search you to see if there's things that you need to do to righten that. Pray for those that you've fallen out with. Build protective walls of prayer for those that you have fallen out with and defend them from the enemy. Let's close the door. Let's seek reconciliation. Let's do it genuinely. You know, sometimes, unfortunately, we can, we can almost spiritualize our anger and, and we just want to use spiritual, la- uh, spiritual language, if you like, to, to bring out really what we're feeling. I love this little, little piece from Adrian Plass, who recalls how he overheard somebody rebuking someone through their prayers. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever experienced a rebuke through somebody's prayers. He says, Lord, we just want to thank you for Bridget and for all those wonderful qualities that she so modestly conceals. Lord, may she have a right view over this matter, and may there be healing of memories taking place for her over this issue, and give her a new and deeper understanding of the scriptures that speak of wisdom to her and of her need for submission. <laughs> oh dear. No, sometimes actually, even spiritual activity like prayer and taking the scriptures are not immune from our anger. It's about making sure that if we do feel that there is an anger between one member of the body and another, that we invite the Holy Spirit into this situation. And the reason for that is simple. Because in the letters and in the epistles, especially in the the epistle of Ephesians, we won't go in to look at the passages now, Paul again and again talks about the unity of the Spirit. He doesn't talk about unity of opinion or unity of heart, or unity of mind. He says there's a unity of the Spirit, because the same Spirit that is at work in you is at work in them, if they're in the body of Christ as well. And therefore, we should pray. We should seek the unity of the Spirit. At the end of our service, we take a passage from 2 Corinthians. We hold hands in a circle. We have lots of little jokes like, please take a hand and don't touch anything electrical. And then we take a hand and we say, the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the what? The fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Now notice what that means, the fellowship of the Spirit. Interesting, Paul doesn't say the fellowship of the church, the fellowship of believers, but the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. It is the Spirit of God that brings unity within the church, and it's to the Spirit of God that we always appeal. Now, Paul also talks in that passage about making every effort, he says, to keep the unity of the Spirit 
through the bond of peace. The bond of peace is a pledge. It's an agreement that we've made with one another to keep our unity. It's a promise that we've made to Christ to keep our unity, to keep the body of Christ as one. And therefore we've made a pledge. And therefore because of that, we endeavor always to close the door on our anger. From him, the whole body is joined together and held together. Notice the unity of the Spirit is through the bond of peace. Jesus also says in John 15, Remain in me, and I also will remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself, it must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. If you remain in me and I am in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. We must seek to remain in him and pray for each other and seek after God for each other, especially if we feel that we've fallen out with each other. There are one or two practical things we can do because sometimes anger can flare up just in the moment, can't it? I'm thinking of traffic and driving. We don't feel very spiritual at those moments. I don't know what it is, but I tend to get quite a bit of road rage. I don't know if it's how I drive, but I get, I get kind of moderate rage until they see the collar. <laughs> but when they see the collar, they kind of like that, and then, then the rage goes up, as if to say, I don't know whether you're a vicar, I don't even you should be driving. Should you be driving? And you shouldn't be driving like that. And um, so there's a, there's a sort of definite sort of reaction to that. And, um, but what do you do in a situation where there's where there's immediate anger, because it's a natural thing, isn't it? Human beings, when they feel threatened, get angry. Jesus wasn't saying, don't get angry. In fact, Peter says somewhere else, in your anger, do not sin. Don't let the sun go down in your anger. Don't, don't, don't nurture it. Learn how to close the door quite soon afterward. Learn how to step away from it. I don't know if you've ever heard the expression, it's one thing to allow a bird to fly over your head, it's another to let it build a nest in your hair. It's an, old, it's an old English phrase, but it's very true. God doesn't condemn us for letting the bird fly over our head, but he would warn us against letting it build a nest in our hair, because that builds resentment. It allows the negativity to take root. And remember, it's like keeping the door of your house open at night. If there's anything prowling around outside, it might see that door open and go, hmm, there's an open door. Finally, try to let it go. I know it's not easy to do that, learning how to step back or use humor, whatever it is to try and release it, but try to let it go because we are conscious that actually anger opens the door and it's dangerous. There's another thing that we can do, and that's to avoid picking up straws. And by that I mean, sometimes, you know, if you were to pick up a twig, you can break it and throw it away, can't you? Pick up a couple of twigs, you can break them and throw away. If you gather a lot of twigs, they're going to be much harder to break. And the more things that we hold in our hearts against people, and the bigger the resentment, the harder it is to break. 
And so the answer to that is, let go of the straws. Don't keep picking up things and let it go. I'm not suggesting that we become sort of just recipients of anger all the time because of course we need boundaries and we need self-esteem. But if it comes to anger, learn how to let it go and don't hold on to it so it becomes something that becomes harder and harder to break. <coughs> Excuse me. Jesus gave very strong words on the teaching of anger. And if you look at the context, actually, within that scripture, it's the scripture by which he's talking about murder. It's very strong. And the reason he does that is he says, and this is because anger is something that if we were to give way to it, has the potential for real destruction. Don't give way to it. See it like an open door that we need to close as soon as we can. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word, the words of Jesus. Help us, Lord. We're all human. Help us in situations where we are, with people that we're with, or work situations, or the stress, or driving, to learn what anger is about, really. Not to take the message of this world, that it's all right to be angry and to hurt the other person, but to recognize that anger opens a door that we need to close quickly. And help us, Lord, to control our anger, to learn how to step back and release it to you. And for those that we hold something in our hearts towards because we feel cross with them or angry with them, help us to pray for them, to protect them in our prayers, to build walls of prayer around them, and to guard us both from the wiles of the evil one. Amen.